Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Feast of Pentecost, 2023. So here we are, another day of Pentecost. Now let's look at the Feast of God, and let's understand something. All of the Feast of God, starting with the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is the important key, that when you start keeping the Sabbath and you start keeping the other commandments of God, then you begin to have the Bible open to your understanding on what God is doing, what God is saying, our purpose in life, where we are going, and how our lives fit into that, and how God's life with the power of his Holy Spirit, fits into our lives. So you look at what happened with the Passover and the children of Israel in Egypt, and then the next day, beginning in the evening, when they had the pillar of light so they could see where they were going. They left Egypt. Then the last day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they passed through the Red Sea. Now think about it. Every single feast of God picture major events that God is involved with, with his people. First of all, with Abraham. And then, the children of Israel. And every major feast of God pictures the action of God and our reaction to him. So let's begin this day, this day of Pentecost, by coming to Deuteronomy 16. So let's look at it there. Deuteronomy 16, and this tells us about keeping the Feast of Weeks. Well, we'll explain this in just a little bit so that we know exactly what we're talking about, and we'll explain it coming from Leviticus 23 as well. So here in Deuteronomy 16, verse 9, And you shall count seven weeks to yourselves. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time that you first began to put the sickle to the grain, because... There was that premier sheaf that was waved before the Lord on the Sabbath during unleavened bread. And this was a type of Christ ascending to the Father as the firstborn from the dead. Amazing, right? on that first day of the seven-week count. Now, that was a spectacular day. He was raised from the dead in the tomb after three days and three nights. And the only way that they found out he wasn't there was that there was an earthquake that, that broke up the seal so the stone could be rolled away, and they could look into the tomb and see that he wasn't there. And astonishingly, when Peter and John went in, 
the linen cloths that he was wrapped in was still in the form of his body lying there, but he wasn't there. And the napkin which covered his face was folded up and put in another location. Now, those two things proved he was raised from the dead and that he was alive because cloth does not fold itself. Now, if it did, every woman would be happy because all of her laundry would fold itself, right? (laughs) But that doesn't happen, okay? Seven weeks shall be complete, okay? You shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God according to the sufficiency of a free will offering from your hand, which you'll give according to the, as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant, your female servant, the Levite within your gates, and the stranger and fatherless and the widow that is among you in the place which you, the Lord your God shall choose to place his name there. Now, we are also to realize that we are to bring forth an offering to God on every one of the holy days. So let's come to Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter, and see also how our offering ties in with the harvest and how Paul pictures it here in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. All right? 2 Corinthians 9. Okay? And with the offering that we bring, we bring it the way that God wants us to bring it, with our whole heart, and according to the blessing which he has given us. See? Just like he says there in Deuteronomy 16. Okay? Let's pick it up here. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now, this is talking about an actual crop. And, of course, Pentecost, from the time of counting the seven weeks, is picturing an actual crop. You have to sow the seed first. And as we covered yesterday, the seed is the word of God. And Christ is the one who is doing it. Now then, we have our part. How much do we bring forth? Like we saw yesterday, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And all of that depends on how we yield to God. And that which is least among Everything is the one that's also important to God. And we never forget that. Verse 6, But this I say to you, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. 
but the one who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. So we have this relationship with God, with his Holy Spirit, and so we have to determine what we're going to bring in an offering to God and considering everything that he has done for us and to us and opening our minds to understand his word and truth and his plan and everything that God is doing. Amazing thing indeed. Okay. Notice verse 7. Free moral agency. This is why God does not want the elders to beat the people for money. Because then, it's not produced by love, and it's not produced by free will moral agency of the one giving it. But it is produced by extraction through fear. Now, God doesn't want that because verse 7, each one as he proposes in his heart, let him give. But not grudgingly or by compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, notice the next verse because this is important. Because God looks at everything that we do, and God's Spirit is within us. And we will see Christ in us as the hope of glory. Okay? But notice what he says. Verse 8, For God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that in every way you may always have sufficiency in all things, and may abound unto every good work. And what is the good work? Ephesians 2. The good works that God has ordained beforehand, that we should walk in them. And as we will see, with the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, Christ says, I know your works. So, the works that are good are produced because of faith. You can't have good works without faith. So at this point, we'll take a pause and take up an offering. And thank you, brethren, for the offering. As you know, we always put it to work to preach the gospel, to produce Bibles, to produce booklets, and I hope you like that new book that we just put out, the Apostle Paul's teachings on God's law, and we have plenty of them. You can have as many as you need to pass it out to whoever you want to pass them out to. Okay? Now let's come to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, we're going to see something. And though we've known this, I haven't emphasized it as much as I should have. But beginning with the counting of the wave sheaf offering, 
The command for Pentecost is the longest command for any holy day. Now think of that. And that also tells us how important it is. And we will see the important events that God did on Pentecost. See? And just like we all know, the Bible condemns all the holidays of this world. You can't find any of the holidays of fake Christianity in the Bible, and they adamantly reject the Sabbath, and they adamantly reject all the holy days of God. And those are the very things that would open their minds to understanding the word of God. Isn't that amazing? It's just like we read yesterday. For their eyes, they have closed. And 2 Corinthians 4, with the help of Satan. And their ears, they have shut. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and be converted. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear as Jesus said. And it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Let's go on. Let's come to Leviticus 23. To verse 15, and let's see what it says. And it's very specific. Verse 15, and you shall count to you, beginning with the next day after the Sabbath, beginning with the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Now, Deuteronomy 16 says seven weeks. That word, though it is based on the Sabbath, means weeks. Here it is, seven Sabbaths shall be complete, meaning coming to the end of the seventh Sabbath at Ba'erev. Ending the day. Okay? Now then, Notice the next verse. Even unto the day after the seventh Sabbath, you shall number 50 days. So here we are. This is the 50th day, the 28th of May, this year. Some years it's a little earlier. Some years it's a little later, depending upon whether it is a leap year with 13 months or a regular year with just 12 months. And that's why, even though the events that we see that are going to take place on Pentecost, it's just like Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. Now, the holy days picture what's going to happen on those days, but when you look down in the future, 
We don't know where it's going to fall exactly on the date of the calendar, even though we know what the day pictures. So let's go on. You shall offer a new grain offering unto the Lord, and you shall bring out of your homes two wave loaves of two-tenths part. Now, specific size of loaves. Okay. Now, we're going to see something that's very important here. They shall be of fine flour. Now, fine flour means it's beaten fine. And symbolically, that means all of the trials and testings that we go through to perfect us. Because you can't have fine flour unless it is thoroughly beaten. They shall be baked with leaven. Now, of the sacrifices that are given, only the peace offering has leavened bread with it. So that means peace between God and you. The one who's offering the offering, peace offering, and to God. And you share in eating that offering, and it's like having a meal with God. With leaven. Now, what did we see yesterday in Matthew 13 concerning leaven? The good leaven is the action of leaven put into the dough so that the bread can be made and it can be baked. And when it's baked, it's completely different than when it's just a lump of dough. And it's permanent. You can't take the loaf after it's baked and smash it down and let it rise again because it won't do it. So the leaven pictures the unseen work within us just like it is the unseen work in the dough to raise it. Now let's read on. Then God tells us what it is. Next sentence. They are the first fruits to the Lord. Didn't we read in James 1 and verse 18 that we are first fruits of the creation of God and Christ is the first of the first fruits? And those of us in the first resurrection are the first fruits, as well as the church of the firstborn, which also tells us this. No one has ascended to heaven except Christ. And no one has been raised from the dead to eternal life except Jesus Christ. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15, that that won't happen until Christ returns. Now, we will see the the prophetic events that lead up to it and how that happens when we get to the book of Revelation. Okay? Let's see what else it says, because there's more symbolism 
referring to the church now in Pentecost, verse 18. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year. Question. How many churches are there in Revelation 2 and 3? Seven. Right? Yes. So each one of these lambs picture the seven churches. Okay. One young bullock, two rams, and they shall be for a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offerings, with their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor to the Lord. Okay. Now then, since we still have sin to overcome, all during our life as long as we are in the flesh, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread teaches us the whole sum of the Feast of Unleavened Bread can be explained by this, that we are to bring every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Jesus Christ. Okay? But that means we must repent of our sins. We must get rid of the sin within. And so that's why there is the sin offering. Okay. Then you shall sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruit a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. So there we go. See? All of those picture everything that is taking place in the church overcoming and coming to the place of the resurrection. And as we will see, the first resurrection does occur on Pentecost. All right? Now it says there, verse 21, And you shall proclaim on the same day that it may be a holy convocation to you. You shall do no servile work therein, and it shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And then the last verse is, Always remember the poor. When they harvest the grain, they weren't to get all, everything that is left behind. They were to leave it to the poor. All right? Now let's see that God has used Pentecost to reveal himself, number one, to Israel, and number two, to the church, and as we will see, number three, to the world, and number four, to us at the resurrection. That's why it's important. God's days carry great meaning in the fulfilling of his plan. That's why we have the real thick book, God's plan revealed by his Sabbath and holy days. That's how you understand God. You obey God, you love God, 
You keep his Sabbath. You keep his holy days. You have repented. You're baptized. You received the Holy Spirit. You grow in grace and knowledge. And God is working with all of us. But it all begins with understanding the commandments of God. So on the day of Pentecost to the nation of Israel, God revealed the Ten Commandments, and they were to take them to the rest of the world to show God's way to the rest of the world. But they didn't do it. They got caught up with the other gods of this world. And in Exodus 32, there's a prophecy that it would happen, and it would come through the priesthood, starting with Aaron, when he made the golden calf. See? All right. Here's what God spoke. Now remember, there was thunders and lightning and earthquake and smoke. And then God came down on Mount Sinai and it was like the whole mountain was on fire. And all the people down below the mount were looking up there and everything was trembling and they were greatly afraid and in awe. And God spoke to them. And the first thing that he said to them, and it's the first thing that they needed to always remember. Here's what God said, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, the voice of God to the people. And that never happened like that again. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Only God can save you. Number one. Okay. You shall have no other gods before me. Now that's the most important thing. Because when you have other things and other gods before the true God, you move away from God and you bring penalties upon yourself. Just witness the history of mankind and the world that it is like today. And then the next one. You're not to make it for yourselves anything of any likeness of heaven above and on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth, and you shall not bow yourself down to them to serve them. Now, when you do that, why would people do that if they have knowledge of the true God? Huh? Stop and think about it. See? And the Catholics, amazing. Every Catholic ought to ask himself the question, why in their Bible do they have the second commandment still there in Exodus 20, but in every catechism it's removed? Because they have all the idols. That alone ought to make every Catholic get up and walk out of whatever cathedral that they are in, and leave Catholicism. Because you stir up the anger of God. Okay? Then the next one, don't take the name of God in vain. 
And that's for every person, but also for every minister and teacher. That's the third commandment. And the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then all of the rest of the commandments pertaining in our relationship, first of all, to our family, honor your father and mother, and then no murder, okay? Not something? No adultery, no stealing, no false witnessing, no coveting. All the laws which if the people would follow, even in the letter of the law, they would have decent societies, they would have strong families, they would understand the the family and the purpose of the family, etc. See? Okay? So that was all given on Pentecost. All right? And that began when? When God began to organize Israel into a nation. All right? Now, let's come to Acts, the second chapter, and let's see the parallel of this. Acts 2, and it's become very important. See? Again, God manifest himself in power. God showed his strength and his spirit and what he was going to do. And this was what? When the church began all during the ministry of Jesus Christ, he was preparing the 12 apostles to carry on the work that he started with them, to write the gospel, to preach the word. And for all of you Messianic Jews out there, listen up. The New Testament was not written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. And the reason is, the Jews have so many traditions and things that they have that there had to be a complete separation from Judaism. Because Judaism, God was not going to allow to be within the church because our relationship would be directly with God the Father and Jesus Christ. So remember, the apostles wanted to know, after Christ had been with them 40 days and 40 nights and teaching them many things, now, we're not told all that he taught, but he was probably teaching them out of the what we call today the Old Covenant, all the prophecies concerning himself and what they were to do, and how they were to do it. Quite an amazing thing. And then he appeared to 500 brethren all at once. And then they were gathered in Jerusalem, and Christ was ready to ascend to be accepted of the Father. And he told them, you wait until you're endued with power from on high. And they wanted to know, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time. And he says, no, it's not for you to know. But you go to Jerusalem till you're endowed with power from God, from the Holy Spirit, which then is the great next thing 
on the Feast of Pentecost. Okay? At the temple of God. And it had to be there to show that this event was from God. Who placed his name in Jerusalem. Who had the temple built at Jerusalem. So let's read it. Acts 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost, the 50th day, was being fulfilled, being accomplished, completed, they were all with one accord in the same place, and suddenly, just like it was at Mount Sinai, boom, God came down and was speaking. Okay? So now this is spiritually. They received the spirit of power to preach the word of God. And he did it in a miraculous way. And he did it at a time when there was a maximum amount of Jews from the diaspora there at Jerusalem so that they could see the power of God, hear the truth of God, and the church began that day. Here's how it started. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the rushing of a powerful wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Imagine what that was like. Okay. Now this time, God was going to speak through the apostles. And he was going to do it miraculously. Every apostle that was speaking was preaching the things of God. But every one of the Jews who came from all of the countries all around that are listed here in Acts, the second chapter, each one of them heard them speaking in the language that they grew up in. Amazing. See, which means he wasn't speaking in Hebrew. And that God intended this word to go out to all nations. And to be in a language that the different nations could read and hear and understand. Question. Has that been accomplished? Are there not more Bibles in the world than any other book? And is not the Bible available for everyone on their smartphone so they could have the Word of God right in their hand? Whether they download it or not. Amazing, right? And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire and sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them the words to proclaim. Why? Who is the author of all the languages? Huh? Genesis 11, right? 
He confounded the languages? Well, if God confounded the languages, that means God invented and gave all the languages and separated the people according to their languages, right? Yes. So now, this is the prophecy that the gospel is going to go to the whole world and all the languages of the world. Okay? And so you can read the rest of the account right here. Okay? And how do we have a relationship with God? Now, beginning, this is quite a thing, see? Never before was it that everyone who would come to God answer the call of God, repent, and be baptized, could receive the Spirit of God. First time in the history of the whole world. So, brethren, I want you to understand this is never before. The calling of God is so great, and the word of God is so profound and so spiritually great and moving and teaching us and leading us and guiding us and God protecting us with his angels, instructing us through his word and spirit to prepare to be the rulers under Christ in the kingdom of God. Amazing, yes. So, but everyone... Everyone had to understand this. And everyone, when we come to the point of repentance and baptism, and continuously on through that as we grow in grace and knowledge, have to understand this. The sacrifice of Christ was so important, which, by the way, happened on the Passover day. Right? There could not be a greater event take place on that day than the death of Christ manifested, God manifested in the flesh. So that we could have the Holy Spirit of God. That's an amazing thing. But God wants you to repent. Now let's come to verse 36, Acts, the second chapter. Let's see the conviction we are all to come to and always remember because Christ is there to forgive us our sins. He is there to heal our hearts, our minds, our soul, our very being, heal our physical body, and give us the mind of Christ through the word of God and the power and spirit of God. But we've all got to remember this always. Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with full assurance, that means with full conviction and understanding, that God has made this same Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. 
Now, our sins have killed Christ. Whatever part our sins had in it, it killed Christ. Okay? Whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That means Lord over you. Christ, the Savior. So they understood this. And the Spirit of God helped them to understand it. And notice this was a great event to take place. Okay? And after hearing this, they were cut to the heart, like we have studied recently. When we repent, God wants us to rend our hearts and not our garments. See? They were cut to the heart, and he said to Peter and the other apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I mean, think about it. How are we going to overcome this thing that we have been involved in in killing Christ? Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you yourself shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amazing. The gift comes from God. Can't come any other way. And it cannot come without repentance. And it cannot come without yielding to God with all your heart, mind, and soul and being. Now, let's come to John 14 and see what that does to bring us into, into complete close fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. This is an amazing thing, one of the greatest things to take place. And on the Passover night, Jesus told the apostles that this would happen. Okay? Let's pick it up here in verse 15. See, he was going to send the Holy Spirit, but he also wanted them to know there are conditions to receiving it. Repentance and baptism, but also obedience. See? Verse 15, If you love me, keep the commandments, namely my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that it may be with you throughout the age. Holy Spirit is going to continue right on down through the age. And then when the millennium begins, there's another phase of the Holy Spirit in conversion at that time for everyone in the world. Even the spirit of the truth. Now, that's what God wants. Because our minds without the spirit of God are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And only the spirit of God and the truth of God can erase and overcome what we have in our minds. So this is what Pentecost pictures in receiving the Holy Spirit, the fulfilling of the words of Jesus in John 14. Okay, 
the spirit of the truth which the world cannot receive because they don't repent because it perceives it not nor knows it but you know it because it dwells with you and shall be within you okay now come here to verse 21 this is very important see this is our relationship with god see and it started with that Pentecost there in Acts, the second chapter. The one who has the, my commandments and is keeping them. Now, every Protestant ought to read that. Now, that's why we have the book, Paul's Teachings on God's Laws. Okay? And is keeping them. That is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That's the whole process of conversion. And remember this, God loves you, Christ loves you, they want you in the kingdom, they're going to help you, they're going to strengthen you, they're going to be with you in everything. Okay, now then, Jesus said this, Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, everything that he said. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode or dwelling place with them. Now that's quite a thing, isn't it? God dwelling in us by the begettle of the Holy Spirit, which is the seed of eternal life. It only comes God's way. Then notice what he says, see? Verse 24, to make it clear. And this comes down to the first commandment as given back in Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. See? And if you have no other gods before him, you're going to love him you're going to obey him. You're going to yield to him, see? But if you don't, here's what it is. The one who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So let's understand something here. It's only going to come God's way. And that's what Feast of Pentecost, Acts the second chapter, tells us. Okay? So, all the religions of men trying to come to God are vain and futile. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll see some other prophetic events having to do with the Feast of Pentecost, which are God's direct and powerful and dynamic intervention into the world. Now let's continue on with the Feast of Pentecost 2023. We ended up here in John 14. So let's come to the very first verse in John 14, and then we will see the prophetic events which will happen right on Pentecost and how important that is. Now, we don't know the day 
or the hour as I have explained before. That is the day of the month. Okay? Now, with Pentecost, we can come pretty close. But we don't know the year. Look at how many have predicted the return of Christ, but he didn't come. Because it wasn't time. But here's what Jesus said to the apostles before he was crucified. Verse 1, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, apply that to yourself. See? God has a place for every single one of us according to our faith and yieldedness to God. Okay? Now notice, he gives a promise. And if I go, which he did, and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And that's what everyone's been wanting to know. Lord, when are you coming? (laughs) And so here we are, 2,023 years later, and he still hasn't come. But he says, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Now, that's quite a thing, okay? Now, let's look at some prophecies, what Jesus said about his return. Let's come to Matthew 24. Now, Matthew 24 has a lot to do, and we know that all of the things that are there, some of them happen in cycles right on down through time. Wars, rumors of wars, famine, drought, and all of this. Those That has happened over and over again. And every time that happens, someone comes along and says, Oh, Christ is going to return. But he's not. He's going to come when he says he's going to come, and it's going to involve Pentecost, as we will see. So, here's what he says. Okay. He tells us what to look for for the beginning of the tribulation. Okay. Verse 15, Matthew 24. Therefore, when you shall see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken by spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. The one who reads, let him understand. Now, that parenthetical statement was inserted there by John so that those, those of us going beyond his lifetime would know what to look for. See? 
Let them understand. So this tells us, along with Revelation 11, and along with 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, that there must be a third temple. Hasn't yet been built. And that's the thing that everybody is missing. There has to be a temple built so the abomination of desolation can stand in a holy place. Now, the Apostle Paul, we know, so hold your place here in Matthew 24. We'll come back there. Let's come to 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter, and we will see the description of the abomination that makes desolate in 2 Thessalonians. Now, also realize that the times were as such, even during Paul's time, that they were thinking that Christ would return. Okay? But it wasn't until after John was given the book of Revelation that they understood, hey, this is not going to happen anytime soon. All right? So here's a description of it. Now, we're going to be flooded with many people saying, well, Christ is coming, Christ is coming. That truly is coming. But he's going to come according to his schedule and not any schedule that men have. So if we read it in the Word of God, we can get a good idea of the events that are going to take place and also that they're connected with Pentecost, and that will help us have some understanding, all right? So he says right here in verse 1, 2 Thessalonians second chapter, Now we beseech you, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Now that's the resurrection, right? That you be not quickly shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit, so there are demonic spirits out there bringing false information, nor by word, that is, someone preaching it, nor by an epistle as if from us, false epistles coming around, saying that the day of Christ is present. Do not let anyone deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the apostasy shall come first. That is, the great turning away from God. And we're in the beginning throes of that, perhaps, as never before. And, so there are two things, the apostasy and the man of sin, the son of perdition. Now notice how this describes him. And this must occur before Christ returns to the earth. Verse 4. Here's the son of perdition. The one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. 
Now we read in Revelation 13 that they're going to worship Satan and worship the beast, right? And we know in Daniel the ninth chapter that he's going to come. And he's going to come to Jerusalem. So here's the details of what happens when he comes to Jerusalem. That above all that is called God or, that it, or an object of worship, so that he comes into the temple of God. Now, the temple will be built by the Jews, but it will be called the temple of God. And sits down as God. Now that is a powerful statement, right? See, that has not happened, but it will happen. And the false prophet will be right there to guarantee that this is God manifested in the flesh. And the Jews will at first believe it because they're looking for a physical Messiah. But that's not how it's going to be. Okay. Proclaiming that he himself is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you understand what is holding back in order for him to be revealed in his own set time. So it has to be the set time. And Daniel 9 controls that the last seven years. Okay, And in the midst of the seven years, this is when this occurs. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already working, only there is one who is restraining at the present time until it come out of the midst, out of the midst of the way of Satan to sit in the temple of God. Verse 8, and then the lawless one shall be revealed. Now notice the time setting by this next statement, whom the Lord shall consume with the breath of his mouth and will destroy with the brightness of his coming. Revelation 19, right? Beast and the false prophet. Where are they going to go? By the word of God, the angels are going to take them and cast them into a lake of fire. All right? Even the one whose coming is according to the inner workings of Satan. No wonder we have so many satanic things going on today. Right? With all power and signs and lying wonders. You think there's a lot of deception going on now? See, listen to this. The words of God are so true and so powerful and will be fulfilled to the maximum 100% degree. Not partially, not a little bit, 
Not perhaps, but absolutely. Okay? Verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and those who are perishing, because... Now notice why the world won't understand until it comes, bam, right down on top of them, and it's going to come with the return of Christ. We'll see that in just a minute here. Okay? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, everybody out there, listen up, and those of you who have not heard of this before, you listen. Ask yourself this question. Do I love the truth? Which is, the word of God. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. So his life and his ministry is a manifestation of truth by God manifested in the flesh. And we have the recording of this now written in the New Testament. See? So how many really love the truth? Love it. And willing to die for it. Okay. Now notice verse 11. Why is the whole world going to be deceived? Because of this very thing right here. They don't love the truth. And today, right now, the temple of Satan, the ones who are part of it, are taking Bibles and tearing them up and burning them. So, the question becomes, how long will it be before they come after us? Personally. Okay? But for this cause, here's what God does. If you don't love the truth, if you don't love God, here's what's going to happen. This is pronounced by, by God through the Apostle Paul right here. God will send upon them a powerful deception that will cause them to believe the lie that that man, the son of perdition, is God manifested in the flesh. But he's not. Verse 12 so that all may be judged who do not believe the truth. They didn't love it. They didn't believe it. And who took pleasure in unrighteousness. So that's coming. That's going to be. Now let's come back to Matthew 24. And let's see how Jesus also described the times in which these will take place. See? The abomination of desolation, we have covered that, okay? Then it says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, okay? Then it says here, verse 20, pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath. Okay? What does this tell us? Christ is saying the Sabbath day is binding at the end time. 
Hello, all you Sunday keepers. Do you get it? Huh? How long will you be deluded in your delusions and your lies and false doctrines? We just read what's going to happen to you. Do you better repent? Okay. Verse 21. For then there shall be great tribulation. How bad? How terrible? How difficult? Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be again. So if you think we're facing troublous times now, just wait. And if those days were not limited, God has limited it to three and a half years. There would no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be limited. Okay. Then they're going to go around, there'll be false Christ and false prophets and say, here he is, come and look. Jesus said, don't go. He's not in a building. He's not in the wilderness. Don't go. Here's what's going to happen first. And this is going to signal just before or perhaps even on the day of Pentecost as we will see when we get to Revelation. Verse 27, for as the light of day. Now, what is the light of day? Is that not the sun? Yes. For as the light of day, which comes forth from the east and shines as far as the west. Think of that now. That's true. Isn't it interesting that Jesus points it out on something that everyone can see and know. There's no secret rapture. And if you, those of you who believe in a secret rapture out there in Protestantville, it ain't going to happen. And when the few that are taken to a place of safety, Revelation 12, are taken, then all hell is going to be leashed on this world, and you will still be standing there and not taken away. All right? So also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay? That's quite a statement, isn't it? Yes. It's going to be like the sun manifested itself just like the sun that shines from the east to the west. We will see that prophesied and how it will be fulfilled in just a minute. Verse 29, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, and put in your margin of your notes, Hosea 5.21 and Hosea 6, where it is, Israel is in captivity and they suffer for two years. Each day is a year, but in the third day, they will be raised up. We'll see that again in prophecy here just a bit. Okay. 
the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. We'll read that in just a minute. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. What is that sign of the Son of Man? Right here, where we have it. Okay. Verse 27. The light of day, which shines forth from the east to the west. Okay. That's how Christ is going to appear. And this is an earth-shaking and powerful thing that is going to happen, and the whole world will see it. And it says, And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn when they shall see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay? Then, next major event will be the resurrection. We'll see how that fits in. Okay? He shall send the angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds of heaven, from one end of heaven to the other end of heaven. Okay? Now let's come to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. Let's read it. Quite an interesting thing indeed, because here it prophesies about the son of righteousness. Think about that. That's not S-O-N. No. This is S-U-N. Now notice the warning, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a consuming oven. Verse 1, that's pretty powerful, isn't it, huh? And all the proud and every doer of wickedness shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. Two things. One, when he returns. Two, the lake of fire. Dual prophecy. Verse 2. But notice this talking about the saints. But unto you who fear my name, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. That's the sign of the Son of Man in heaven that shined from the east to the west. The Son of Righteousness shall arise, and healing will be in his wings, and you shall go out and grow up like calves of the stall, okay? And you shall trample upon the wicked. That means we're carrying out the vengeance of God, going against the wicked and the armies that are gathered together to fight Christ and the saints as they come down from, as we will see, the sea of glass, okay? Now, let's put this together with Revelation, the sixth chapter, Revelation 6, because all of this comes together in the book of Revelation. The sign of the Son of Man, the Son of Righteousness, and the shakings of the heavens and the earth. And it comes down to 
the sixth seal. Okay. And this is two full years into the three and a half years of the tribulation. First, there's going to be the false prophet. Then there's going to be the beast power and the sword and the wars and all of that going on, then death and famine through the seals that Christ opens. And remember this, nothing happens until God says so. Right? Now let's come to verse 12. Let's see what we just described be fulfilled right here. Now at first, they're going to think this is the return of Christ. But then Satan's going to come along like he always does because Christ is not going to come on the earth directly. He's just going to reveal himself in the heavens. So Satan comes along and he's going to say, oh, that's not Christ. These are invaders from outer space. You think the world is being set up for that kind of thing? Hey, without a doubt. Okay. Verse 12, Revelation 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. What does he say in the prophet? Behold, I will shake the heavens, and I will shake the earth. This is going to be an unheard of thing up to that point. And the sun shall become black like the hair of sackcloth, and the moon shall become blood, and the stars of heaven uh, fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its untimely figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. So the earthquake is going to hit. Boom! The whole world is going to feel that. Not just a little earthquake somewhere, say, in the magnitude of five or six or seven on the Richter scale. This will probably be on the scale of about 12 or 14. Okay? Then what happens? After that calms down, then the heavens departed like a scroll. Whoom! There it is. Being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the powerful men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of his wrath has come. Who has the power to stand? Now to show God's love and graciousness in the middle of all of this tremendous destruction, what does he do? Chapter 7, sealing of the 144,000 in the great innumerable multitude, right? Okay. This is God's Pentecost harvest, which may be more than what the church has done down through all the ages. Right? 
starting with the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Dan is not mentioned because in Genesis 49, it says Dan will wait for his salvation. Okay. But all the tribes. All right. Then a great innumerable multitude. Now, God is going to minister to them directly through his angels. He's going to convert them and seal them with his spirit. And the angels are going to carry that out. Now, why is that? Well, there are no ministers around to baptize. But this is God's doing. And we can't take from that the little song and dance of the Protestants have all received the Lord in your heart. No. God is going to do this with his angels. And there's going to be weeping and crying and sighing and praising God and all kinds of things going. And there are going to be miraculous healings. And so those who are in the slave camps and those who are oppressed by the beast power, and they come to repentance when they see the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and the shaking of the earth and the heavens, and they repent, and God gives them his, his Holy Spirit. Now, they will have one year from that Pentecost, right here, Revelation 7, they will have one year until the resurrection. Okay? Now, it appears when you read Revelation 7 that they immediately go to the throne of God. That's not true because they have to wait for the resurrection and the resurrection doesn't come until the seventh trump, the last trump. Now then, since this happens at the end of two years, how much time is left out of three and a half? One and a half years. Okay. Now, picture the earth and all the troubles and difficulties that go on. Everything's going to be jumbled up in a mess everywhere. And so from the time from Pentecost until trumpets, the nations will use that time to regather themselves. And then, on the Feast of Trumpets after this Pentecost, then the trumpet plagues start. Now, oh, that's going to be something. We won't go through all of them, but they start from trumpets, and one year to the next trumpets, when Christ and the church comes down to the earth. But, remember from chapter 7, Pentecost to the next Pentecost, okay? That's after the seventh trump, which is the last trumpet, okay? Like Paul writes, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed and this mortal must put on immortality 
and this corruption must put on incorruptibility, so then will be swallowed up death. And death, where is your sting? No. All right. Getting ahead of myself. So what do we have? Trumpet start, chapter 8, and then we have the first four real quickly. Boom, 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 boom. Then the last three come. Chapter 9, there are two of them there. So that's a total of six. But there are seven trumpets, and there has to be the last trumpet. So here's where it picks up. Now, all during the time we're talking about here, we find in Revelation 11, so let's come there, because that's important to understand. Also, during that time, there are two witnesses. Now, God's going to choose the two witnesses as we find in Zechariah 3 and Zechariah 4. They will be the ones of the olive trees standing before the God of the earth. They will not come from the church. They will come from the high priest at the temple and the governor of Judea. And they will be dressed in sackcloth. And they will be against the whole world through the power of God. Two men. No other way to preach the gospel? No. The two men. They will be there. And right at the time that they come there, there's going to be the three angels in Revelation 14, which before the tribulation begins, they're going to have those three angels preaching to the whole world, the message of repentance. Okay? The two witnesses will be preaching the message of repentance and power against the beast and against the false prophet. And the whole world is going to be completely frustrated and upset, and they can't control them. They can't kill them because fire comes out of their mouth and devours the enemies that come against the two witnesses. And this will go on for three and a half years. All right? And here's what it will be. All right? Verse 3. And I will give power to my, Revelation 11 and verse 3. There we go. Sorry about that. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. Okay. Nothing fancy. Okay. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the God of the earth. God is going to choose them. No man is going to appoint them. And the church is going to have nothing to do with it. 
God is going to do that. And if anyone attempts to harm them, fire will come out of their mouths and devour their enemies. And if anyone attempts to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Now notice the authority that they have. And these have authority to shut up heaven that it, no rain may fall in the days of their prophecy. They have authority over the waters to turn them to blood and smite the earth with every plague as often as they will. And when they have completed their testimony, the beast who ascends out of the abyss will make war against them and overcome them and will kill them. Okay? Now, the world's going to think, yes, now we can come out of all of this. We finally got rid of these two men, but their bodies will lie in the streets of Jerusalem unburied for three and a half days. And then what happens? Verse 8, okay. Then their bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations shall see them. Yes, so smartphones will be working back then too. Shall see their bodies three and a half days, for they will not allow their bodies to be put into tombs. And those who dwell on the earth, they're going to have a great celebration, will rejoice over them and will make merry, send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets had tormented them who dwell on the earth. Then after three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood on their feet. And great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a great voice from heaven say, Come up here! And they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Great astonishment. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand men were killed in the quake, and the rest were filled with fear and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes immediately. Then the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. Now notice what happens. This is the last trumpet. This happens on Pentecost. See? Has to happen on Pentecost. Because we will see what takes place afterwards. Okay? Now notice what it says. When does Christ take over power of the kingdoms of this world? When the seventh trumpet sounds. What's the first thing that he's going to do? In order to take over the world, resurrect the saints. The small and the great, all the way down through history, from Abel through everyone who has ever been saved and was faithful and was buried and died. 
and those who are alive at this time and still remain, like the 144,000 or greater innumerable multitude, they will be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And here it is right here. Then the seventh angel sounded a trumpet, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, and he shall reign into the ages of eternity. And the 24 elders who sit, on, sit before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped him, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come, that you have taken to yourself your great power and have reigned. That's when he takes over the whole world. But it can't be completed without the saints. All right? And the nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time for the dead to be judged and to give reward to your servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to all those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant was seen. Boom! What a demonstration of power. Another chance to repent if they would do it. Huh? Okay. Now let's come to Revelation 14. And let's see how the resurrection is going to take place. Okay. Revelation 14. Let's pick it up here in verse 14. And it picks right up where we were there in Revelation 11. Revelation 14 and verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man sitting on the cloud, having a golden crown upon his head, and in his hand was a sharp sickle. Okay? Remember Matthew 13, the harvest is the end of the age. This is the end of the age. The age of man ended in Revelation 11. And the age of the kingdom of God begins right there. And it begins with first the resurrection. And this must take place on the Feast of Pentecost. Because that is the great harvest, is it not? And is this not a harvest here? Does he not have a sickle? Does it not say that the harvest of the earth is ripe? And doesn't Pentecost picture the seven weeks of harvest? And Pentecost is the, is the great celebration where all of them come and they wave these leavened loaves, which is the type of us being resurrected. Now change. No longer a lump of dough, but a completed full loaf, as it were. Change from flesh to spirit. Okay, let's read it. And he who was sitting on the cloud thrust forth his sickle upon the earth, and the earth was reaped. And where do we go? Well, it says there in Matthew 24 that the angels will gather us from the four corners of the heavens as you look down at the earth. 
they're going to be gathering the saints wherever they are. Because in order to take over the world, you have got to have a full-fledged government ready to go. You've got to have everything that you need. And we will see in just a minute how that's going to be. Okay? Then it says, and the earth was reaped. That's the resurrection. Then also that's going to come after that resurrection are the seven last plagues. And here's a prophecy of it in verse 17. Then another angel who also had a sharp sickle came out of the temple that was in heaven. And out of the altar came another angel who had authority over fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sickle, saying, Thrust your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the earth, not the saints, the earth, because her grapes are fully ripe. And we'll see that fulfilled in chapter 16. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast its fruit into the great winepress of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood spewed from the winepresses as high as the horses' bridles at a distance of 1,600 furlongs. The greatest bloodbath of humankind in the history of the world. Because, as we will see, all the nations of the earth will be gathered against him to fight him. Why? Because of what they will see. Because we'll be resurrected, and here in chapter 15, it tells us we'll be on the sea of glass. Okay? And the temple of God will be there as well. Let's read it. Chapter 15. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and awesome, seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them the wrath of God is filled up. See? The seven last plagues come after the resurrection. See? That's why the resurrection is on Pentecost. And the four and a half months between Pentecost and trumpets, the earth is going to be gathered together to fight the aliens coming from outer space. Because what are they going to see? Here's what they're going to see. And this will be astonishing to them. Verse 2. And I saw a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who had gotten victory over the beast. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Was not the serpent a beast? Yes. And over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass. We're not going to be resurrected on trumpets and meet Christ in the air and Christ is going to say, follow me. And you say, Lord, what do I do? No. We're all going to be on the sea of glass. Okay. 
And I saw a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who gotten victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having the lyres of God. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and awesome are your works, Lord God Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of saints. Now, what are we going to do on the sea of glass? Well, we know we're going to receive a new name. We're going to have new garments. We're going to be instructed on what we're going to do, right? We're going to see the Father. Christ is going to present us. He's going to present us to the Father and say, Father, here are the children that you have given me. That's going to be something. Think of that. Right there on the sea of glass. And then we're going to find out what are we going to do? How are we going to come to the earth? Then there has to be the wedding of the Lamb, right? And the bride. We have to make ourselves ready, right? And then we'll come down to the earth on trumpets to finish the battle. See? Okay. So, after we're there on the sea of glass, and we're singing this song, and here it is, verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only are holy, and all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments are revealed. A prophecy what's going to happen when the millennium is established. And after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in linen, pure and bright, girded about the chest with golden breastplates. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who lives into the ages of eternity. We will see that. And this will fulfill the promise that God has given to all the saints. You shall see the vengeance of God. And what is the vengeance of God? The seven last plagues. So, we'll pick it up again from here when we get to the Feast of Trumpets. So this is the meaning of Pentecost. And God manifesting himself in power on Pentecost so that he establishes his kingdom, resurrection of the saints, and the beginning of our eternal life to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So brethren, have a great feast of Pentecost.